We're the Pragmatic Doulas. This is a podcast where we talk all about birth and other interesting things. Birth may be a goddess, but she doesn't want to be worshipped. She wants to be respected. She doesn't want incense. She wants common sense. All right, here we go. The Pragmatic Doulas podcast during the pandemic. Hello, everybody. Yeehaw. Hi. I'm, feeling, I'm feeling perky today. Oh, that's why I'm we perky. have no video of you. Yes. You might not want to see this. You don't want to see the perkiness? No. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing some perkiness right now. So, yeah. Uh, you guys were frozen there for a second for me, so I don't know if that's going to keep happening or, or what. This is the wonders of this technology. So if, you, if, if I blank out, for you know more than like five seconds it's probably because everybody's frozen and i'm just sitting here waiting for it to unfreeze okay okay all right gotta love this technology crap i know (laughs) yeah all right so i'm kim i'm suzanne i'm steph and we've got a special guest we do who are you special guest i'm erin underwood yeah. All the way from Portland, Oregon. Oh, yes, Oregon. I got to tell you, Aaron, it looks pretty Portland, Oregon-y out here today in Toronto, Canada. <laughs> it's gray. It's raining. It's not that cold, but it looks pretty Pacific Northwesty. Yes. Yes. We get a lot of rain, but we also have some beautiful weather too. Yes. I've always wanted to go to Portland. I love really? it. Yeah, the Pacific Northwest is, I, I feel like a thing, an affinity toward to that place, to that part of the continent. Yeah. I've never been west of Alberta. Mm. Alberta is the furthest west I've gotten. And, well, I've been to California, but that's the south. Yay, there you go. <laughs> There's my boring travel log for the day. That was your tra- your training travel log, right? No, I've no. Um, fun things. Well, I mean, I had a cousin in California. Went there for a wedding. Nice. One of her I was weddings. In Vancouver, and I was at a place in Vancouver where I could actually see Washington State. So there. <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> Ah, and you're uh, American, so that's that's interesting. It's always interesting to have American people on speaking to American people. Yeah. yeah. We had an American on? No, I don't think we have actually. No. <gasps> you're our first American. Oh, our man. First the pressure. <laughs> you gotta represent your three hundred. We're million. international now, people. <laughs> We're an international podcast. <laughs> well, please come on, guys. We actually charted in the Netherlands this week, right? So, I mean, that's a big deal. That that it. is a big deal. Ninety nine, like we broke the top one hundred in the Netherlands. Nice. Should we be any prouder? I mean, come on. Maybe I don't know. Well, so uh, let's do a little uh, COVID check in corner. What's going on? How are people feeling this week? compared to last week, um, uh, just to, you know. This is not a good week for me. 
Mm. I'm very, I think I'm at a tipping point. Yep. Over the edge. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I'm bordering on losing my shit at some point. And Why? What is it? I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's having, that? having been stuck inside for seven goddamn weeks. I mean, and the only time I go out is to actually do stuff for other people. And I think it's the caregiving side of things that is really starting to push me over the edge. The balance is off. Very off. Very, I told you last night, I was, <laughs> I was actually almost, you know, wouldn't be upset if I got a kidney stone and needed to go on medication. <laughs> Yeah. And go to the that's hospital. That's book volumes. Yeah. yeah. It's like um, that thing where when you're when you give birth in the hospital and like it's your third baby or something, you really want to institute those longer hospital stays. Most of the time, first time people want to go home right away. But once your third baby, you're like, Can I just stay? And yeah. that's where I legitimately get to stay in bed and have people bring me food. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. When being in the hospital feels like a holiday, you know, you're, you're oh, when Allie had to go back into the hospital after we went home and then came back like two nights later or something. And they yeah. said that she had to stay. And I was like, Oh, can I get a sleep room? Can I, can I get one of the sleep rooms? Cause I have to breastfeed her. <laughs> Meanwhile, I could have cared less, <laughs> but just staying home, <laughs> just staying in the hospital was like yeah in fact when they were letting us leave i was like oh really you're letting us go <laughs> are you sure we usually yeah. stay oh <laughs> uh, now i'm like so you're just go what can we do to pull you back from the edge i don't know i mean i don't know invite all your people to come and live with us Leave you alone. <laughs> well, it would... I think she's considering it. Look at her face. Well, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. It would be nice if their dad took them for another night, but you know, it doesn't get rid of my elderlies. So my mom. So this is a funny story. Okay, so my mom bought a washing machine. Sorry, Aaron. This is the way this goes. If you've ever listened to the podcast, so my mom bought a washing machine. Her washing machine broke down, and she got a washing machine. So the washing machine got delivered yesterday and the guys came in, they put on little booties and stuff. They didn't wear masks, um, but they put on little booties. They went in, installed it, left, took everything away. 15 minutes, 15 minutes they were there. So I called her after dropping my son off at work and said, you know, wow, like, like a new washing machine, I'd be like down there from washing everything in sight. Like I'd be, that's not dirty. doesn't matter. Let's put it in and see what happens. Yeah. And she's like, no, um, I haven't been down yet. And I go, well, why not? She goes, I'm too afraid. I go, afraid of what? She goes, well, I I'm just too afraid. I go, mom, it's not covered in COVID. She goes, you don't know that slathered in COVID. <laughs> I go, I go, okay. So, and we went through like everything that they did and I go, I'm like, you didn't like hug them when they left or anything. Right. Um, she's got these alcohol wipes. I said, just go downstairs and, you know, wipe it down and then put a load in and then, you know, don't lick it or anything. 
that was tip number one, Kim. Yeah, don't lick it. I mean, you that's don't lick the new washing machine. When the parent is now parenting the parent, stop licking that. Okay. It's the circle of life. It, you don't exactly. know where it's been. <laughs> exactly. So don't lick this washing machine. Like no. when your parents say you don't lick the frozen poles outside on your way to school in the morning. It's the exactly. same same advice exactly so um, then she called later in the afternoon i didn't tell you guys this. she called later in the afternoon and um had gone down and they hadn't pushed it back up against the wall so i guess you know she pushed it up against the wall and i and well no she said it's not pushed against the wall and i go okay so push it against the wall i mean she's not she's little but it's, it's she could do it you could do it. Yeah. Just put your ass into it and back up into it. You'll be fine. So she goes, do it, but, put your back but I signed, she said, I signed a thing that said it was leveled. What if I push it and it's no longer leveled? Mom, your house was built in the 1950s. Your house is probably more level than any other house that's ever been built since. Okay. Don't worry yeah. about it. Just, mm. So she called later and said that she did, and then a light came on, and then I guess it has like a night light or something. I don't know. She paid like $1,000 for this goddamn washing machine. For that price, man, it should have actually come with somebody to put the laundry in it. So I called her this morning, and I go, have you done a load yet? No. 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 <laughs> What the hell, woman? I'd be down there washing everything. Yeah, me too. She's um, afraid. She's afraid it's covered in COVID. But there's a way, even if it is covered in COVID, you can just clean it. Yeah. Well, she did. Run a, run a, run a, uh, an empty hot water with bleach load through it exactly. and then wipe it down with, you know, your Lysol wipes or whatever. And there you go. Even if it did have COVID on it, it's... You, there's a way to get rid of it, lady. Margaret. A, yeah. Maggie. Maggie. That's what my dad used to say to her. Maggie. I prefer to call her by her full name. It sounds more angry. Oh, no. <laughs> when my dad said it, it was angry enough. <laughs> I'm trying to move my computer because... Did she just uh, flip him the bird behind his back when, she, when he talked to her like that? Or <laughs> I don't know. I never saw her do that. But I, I'm pretty sure she probably was plotting in her head after he left the room. Uh, all right, so how, that, that's that been my week. My internet's been, been, it says it's unstable and you guys keep freezing every now and then. So I'm trying to move to a different area of my room to see if it's, it'll, if it's better. So just don't judge the condition of my bedroom, okay? Don't do that. Look, I'm just super disappointed that I didn't have a book wall installed before this all happened. As she pulls the phone that? out of her boob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, Aaron has, Aaron has a book wall. Aaron has a book wall. I have a book wall in my house, but this is a, like for the last five years, I haven't had one. Good oh. Lord. All right, so I'm doing okay. Um, I still have this knee pain. I don't know what that's all about. It's this sore knee. I haven't been walking hardly. I don't know. Well, maybe you can talk to Aaron about that. Oh there my God. Go. That's perfect. <laughs> I'm going to get all my aches and pains fixed up today. 
Um, but I mean, it's still the same. That's, that's what's bothering me. It's, is that it's, everything is the same. Every day is the same. It's the same. It's the same every day. What am I going to do today? Is there a cupboard I can clean out today? Should I stay in bed today? How much long, how, how few steps can I get today? Like it, it just feels, um, monotonous. I'm not complaining because I like the freedom of being able to decide what I want to do, but the monotony of it is kind of getting to me and my kids and I are not talking to each other enough. That's bugging me that we're all in the house all day, every day together. And I think it was two o'clock yesterday before I said anything to anybody. That's not been good. So yeah, not even in the room. Noah was downstairs and I was having an in-bed day. And so is she, I guess, because I think I heard her get up and go downstairs and come back up. And yeah, so that's been something that I need to, I need to fix that. We need to like do things like watch movies and play games like other normal families are doing instead of just holding up in our own little corners of the house. I don't know. We, we cannot play games in this house. It will end in bloodshed. There's, we, yeah. we, this has been the way it is since time. So the only thing we seem to be able to do without actually killing one another is puzzles. So mm. I might break out another puzzle. And how you doing, Can, uh, Stephanie? It's actually been a pretty good week for me. Like I've had a bunch of stressors kind of thrown at me that were unexpected, but I did do what I said last week. I went back to the list for the kids. So um, Aaron, just the, what I do is a little bit different in this house just for my own sanity. All my kids' technology goes in my room at night. It all gets plugged in in here. They come in in the morning. Whenever they get up, I really don't care when they get up. They get up, do what you want to do, read until 5 o'clock in the morning. I don't care. But um, before they can pick up their technology for school or personal technology, they, there's a list of things that need to happen. Um, like clean yourself, put something on your body, get your water and your meds in your supplements in, have something to eat, get your space ready for the schoolwork you have to do, um, crack your window, get some fresh air in there, and do one chore. And then come grab your stuff, do what you need to do, and then they have a, a couple things they need to do in the afternoon as well. But there's like before you touch your tech, and then there's after you touch your tech, you gotta get up, stretch your legs, walk a dog, you know, go do sidewalk chalk with the little boy who lives downstairs, like do something for just get out and moving and stuff. So that, having reinstituted that, oh, and they each have to choose a meal to make one day a week. Um, See, so that's, that's what I need to do. Yeah, me too. The other stuff, no, <laughs> but I do need to get somebody else to cook. Um, yeah, so that's working very, very well. And then I just had that word nourish kind of fall into my lap a couple days ago. And it's just been a couple days of trying to be a little more mindful of what I'm doing. And I'm still here. I haven't lost my mind. I haven't injured anybody, so that's good. <laughs> I'm doing good. How are you doing, Erin? Yes, Erin. Doing... Tell us all about your life. <laughs> I'm doing well. Last week was a rough one for me. That's where things kind of peaked for me as far as just feeling isolated more, you know, not just physically, but emotionally and just distant. And my anxiety was creeping back up and just, but I was able to use the tools that I know I have that it's just so hard to use them when you don't feel like it and 
able to kind of clear my head and start using some of the practices my good old therapist recommends and we're doing better now so I'm feeling more solid emotionally not perfect but still just in a better place so it's doing better that's excellent and I really like that you kind of mentioned there doing it when you really just don't want to fucking do it you know like your your body's like I don't care no therapy is a bag of chips right now like you know or hiding in my room and crying or being snappy with people see it's it's that whole I guess discipline because we're supposed to be the adults here to say no I am going to do the ABC and see if XYZ happens mm-hmm. even though I don't really want to do it yep. you know <laughs> absolutely yeah well right, so- why don't I uh, have like a formal introduction because we just like threw Erin in here like she's just like a new member of the podcast so i'm going to do a formal introduction to everybody of who erin underwood is and then i'm going to ask you erin to talk a little bit about yourself tell us about you know all those books on your shelf who who are you quarantined with and why and all of that good stuff so today we have on the show erin underwood from portland oregon it's like your beauty beauty contestant (laughs) portland oregon and um Erin is a functional movement specialist, and we're going to talk all about what that means in terms of uh, birth workers, how we, and this is very timely. Like I said, I got this knee pain and I'm, I am slowly but surely seizing up all of my joints and all parts of me are slowly seized. I know it's because I've been lying down and sitting down way too much. Uh, I know that, but I want you to, you know, give me a virtual kick in the ass and help us all as birth workers to figure out how to keep ourselves limber and all um, supple like that. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Erin? Tell us all your personal details about your life. We want to hear all of it. There's no such thing as TMI on this show, as you might have realized. (laughs) Uh, How you got to do this work. And please, me personally, I want to know What's it like working with Katie Bowman, who is a little bit of a hero of mine? Yes, I will get there. (laughs) So I am Erin Underwood. I am currently quarantined with my husband and my four boys who are between (gasps) the ages of 11 and 5. So I am- Many penises. Lots of testosterone. I am completely outnumbered um and a little chaotic but it's fun and so a little bit of my backstory I've always been really interested in movement I've always been like growing up I was more athletic so I coached some team and uh, gymnastics and was kind of in that field but it was just it was more of an athletic bent and then after I gave birth to four boys in five and a half years whoa yeah. Um, <laughs> then my body was started talking to me and was like, uh, that was a lot. So I had diastasis recti, which is that separation of the abdominal muscles. I had pelvic organ prolapse, which is where the, your pelvic floor can't sustain the force of your actual organs. So things start slipping out there. I had severe incontinence, which meant I leaked pee whenever I would run, jump, dance, uh, pick up my kid. Uh, lots of chronic lower back pain, SI joint stuff, neck stuff. I felt like I was falling apart at 30, um, which felt a little ridiculous to me. And when I went to my traditional OB, he just kind of shrugged it off and was like, well, you're a woman and you gave birth. So what do you expect? Like, of course your body's going to fall apart. 
and uh, it didn't sit well with me. I was just like, mm, I don't like that. Um, it didn't feel right. Like I felt really fragile, but then I was like, how could we have survived as a species for this long if our bodies were this fragile and childbirth basically made us fall apart? I was like, this just doesn't line up for me. So I went, well, I cried. Like pelvic floor and core stuff is really central to us. And I think it's really connected to our identity. So a lot of times I, I see this a lot in my own clients now, but I didn't know that then but we can respond a lot more emotionally to like pelvic floor and core um, basically injuries than like if I broke my arm. Like it just seems like there's more finality to a core and pelvic floor issue. Like people just be kind of like, oh, this is going to be the rest of your life rather than with an arm or a leg. A lot of times you're like, oh, you can rehab that. Like it'll be rough for a little bit, but you'll rehab it. So fetal position, ugly depression, cry, like kind of set in. And because it's not the life I wanted to live. Like I wanted to enjoy my kids. Like I didn't want to just give birth to them and then be miserable for the rest of my life <laughs> and like have to plan my life around like, where's the closest bathroom? And, um, you know, okay, now I have to wear pads for the rest of my life because I'm leaking constantly. And so I dove into research mode because that's what I do. Um, that's where I came across Katie Bowman's work. And she was just sassy and saucy enough for me and sarcastic enough for me to be like, I like this lady. Um, she makes sense. And she was able to really explain holistically what was going on with my body through her work. I hadn't like met her yet. And I was like, this clicks. So I started implementing a lot of these little shifts and exercises and continued my research. And I kind of pulled from all these different sources. I trained and certified under uh, Katie Bowman and several other people and was like able to heal my body within a year. So I closed my diastasis, my prolapse completely healed. Um, I no longer leak. I can run, jump, play, jump on a trampoline, run down a dune, um, pick up something heavy. I'm not going to leak anymore. Um, and I don't have pain in my body. And when I do, I'm very in tune with it. So I know what it's telling me and I'm able to kind of work through it pretty quickly rather than it just being chronic and sitting there and feeling upset and clueless about where it's at. So it's very, very empowering work. And so that's when I was like, I know what I want to be when I grow up. So <laughs> that's where I took my certifications because initially I just wanted to learn for me to apply it to my own body. I'm very like scientific, like I will use myself as an experiment and I will see if this actually works. Um, and then I was able to start teaching and seeing these really incredible results in people in my clients' bodies as they were able to um, kind of support themselves through their healing journey with some guidance from me. So it was, it's been really an incredible experience. Wow, that's amazing. I love how you spoke to how yeah. it feels different when you have a pelvic floor injury versus or incontinence or anything kind of to do with our our womanhood like our everything that kind of we identify with and it is very different from um from breaking an arm or you know twisting your ankle or even like anything huge physically it really spoke to me because a, a longtime friend of mine who i hold very dear to my heart for her third child she'd had no issues with her other babies but with her third child and due to some mismanagement of her care she experienced a horrendous like, I can't even describe what happened to her below the waist. And it, it was like four years of 
depression and there was some therapy in there and there was a lot of um, suggestions for surgery and all these other things that gave no actual I don't know it it turned it turned from pelvic floor issue into stressors that created IBS that created other tissue dis dissonance and it was so much of it was um, the emotional work and the falling down the, the hole and it wasn't until she kind of found a balance between I, it was, she said it was almost like forgiving herself for having a hard time before she got to the work that actually helped her rebuild and not be incontinent and it was incontinence front and back mm -hmm. it, it was um and so to have three young children and not, not be able to attend them the way she wanted to or not be able to exist in the world the way we're told we will and because that's what mothers do um or that's what parents do it was uh it's been a very long road just to get here and it's only maybe been now a year where she's in so much more of a better place and it wasn't until she really got proper therapy physical and emotional where it started to all come back together yes it's absolutely completely like we're interconnected and that's how i teach like very the body is spiritual and emotional and physical and it's very hard to address one of the issues without really holistically going after all of them and so and it's just so common. It's so common for the emotional aspect to kind of be brushed under the rug and not be taken seriously. And it is so deeply impacting. And so I always, always have deep compassion with anyone who is even willing to address it. Cause a lot of times if we're even going to talk about it, it's said as a joke, like, Oh, ha ha ha. Like I can't jump on a trampoline anymore. Like, isn't that funny? Like rather than this is hard and it, my body's not a joke. Like this is actually really impacting my life. And so, yeah. Yep. And what you said, work. sorry, go ahead. What, Susan. what you said about, um, when things impact your, your pelvic floor, that it, it's, it's, it's more impactful than when you break your arm really resonated with me in a whole bunch of different ways because uh, my mom has had severe pelvic floor issues. My mother has had four surgeries mm -hmm. to repair different body parts because of pelvic floor um, problem, prolapse issues. Um, a woman who only had two babies, mm -hmm. but we suspect something horrendous happened with the second, her second birth um, and she has no memory of her second birth. So who knows what happened? And I, I just feel a little, um, a, a little emotional about it because we did just treat it like, oh, mom has to have a hysterectomy. Oh, mom has to have a re bladder repair because her bladder's falling out. Oh, she has to have a second bladder repair because it's her bladder issue. Then she had a this issue, then she had a that issue. And it was all separate issues that she just happened to have because it was her and it's only now in my own old age <laughs> that I'm able to look at her and say, holy crap, what must that have been for? She was a married woman for a long, long time. So she had a partner uh, who, you know, who thinks about their parents in that light? Like what must mm -hmm. their sex life have been like with all of these issues that she had? Obviously she didn't speak to us about it, but now I can see how privately she must have dealt with the emotional fallout from all of that and 
and how we just didn't see it. Even me as her daughter who claims to be all feminist and whatever, that I've, I've only recently started looking at my mom as a whole entire woman and that all the stuff that I've gone through, she's gone through too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you mean that there was a possibility, you mean like it, it, the answer isn't always surgery? <laughs> I am not anti-surgery. I am pro try the other options and strengthen yourself so that even if you do have to wind up going to surgery, you can go in strong. So a lot of times we as women, we just kind of throw in the towel. I've heard this a lot where like, why bother strengthening before I give birth? Because pregnant, giving birth is just kind of, kind of rip me open. I'm going to be like a rubber band that basically gets stretched out and I'm going to have to rehab anyway. So why bother? Or um, I'm going in for surgery and it's going to, you know, kind of, they're going to rip me up and tear me up inside, which I get surgery is major big deal. I don't care what kind of surgery it is. Um, but why bother prehabbing? I'll just rehab. And there's so much power in the prehab of anything that you're going to do because you're strengthening and preparing your body so that the recovery, you'll then be able to go through it with a lot more strength and sustainability rather than just kind of, we'll see what happens after the fact. And so I'm all about in the empowerment side of it is you can prehab. Like I'm not going to promise anyone that, Oh, okay. You're never going to have to get surgery. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with people's bodies, but I'm all about like, I will give you the tools so that let's try this and this and this, you can build so much strength, whether or not you become hundred percent functional or not then you can make a really empowered decision about whether or not surgery is going to be a really good fit for you rather than let's just so throw surgery at everything. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you would do that like you would do that with any other surgery too. Like if you were, my mom had prehab for her knee surgery and her recovery was significantly different than anybody else's who had, you know, a knee replacement and she, it took, I will admit, as an old woman, it took me a while to get her to get to that point um, to actually do the prehab because she was with a physiotherapist to maybe avoid having the surgery. But then when it turned out she was going to have the surgery, the physio is like, okay, well then let's do this. Let's strengthen your knee beforehand. And she's like, oh, I don't need that. I'm like, no, let's give this a try. And yeah, her rehab afterwards was significantly better than at least half of the old elderly people that were in there. So, so why wouldn't it work for other things, right? Absolutely. And, and my philosophy in life is, look, even if it doesn't work, at least you tried. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So in your email that you wrote to us, Erin, you talk about birth workers as you know, that the majority of the people who listen to our podcast are birth workers. Most of the time they're doulas. And uh, you very correctly state that very often birth workers forget to prioritize themselves, um, their own self-care, their own physical and emotional needs. And um, what you do is you pr provide a sustainable approach to how they can use um, uh, specialized and practical movements to help them stay stronger. So you also give us a nice handy list of things that you wanted to dive into, which we love, because that meant we didn't have to come up with our own question. <laughs> exactly. So thank you very much. Um, so can you talk to us, please? Because I know for a fact that 
I've been, I mean, I've been attending births for 15 years and 15 years ago, I mean, I was a mother, I had five children. I was in my mid thirties at the time and coming back from a long, hard birth was challenging back then, but I do not remember it being so, so hard the way that it is now. I know a lot about that is age and my own, yeah, doing all those things, not putting my self-care as a priority and so on. Um, but can, can you talk to us about some of the things that we can do to be able to be more resilient, to be able to be stronger so that we can continue doing the work that we need to do to make it sustainable for us? Absolutely. Yeah. So my passion came from, I have given birth four times. So I have had really moving experiences with my own birth workers. I had two hospital births and then, you know, the induction, the epidural, and then I had two super crunchy at home water births. So I've kind of done it all. Um, and I just remember my birth workers faces, like they're the ones who got me through, whether they're my labor and delivery nurses or my midwives, like they were all just incredible um, I would say like kind of, they were right there in that milestone post with me. And so it was really impactful. And so I am not like an official doula, but like, because of my body work and understanding some of my friends will occasionally have me support them during their birth. So I went to a birth this last, uh, two years ago and with a friend of mine, it was a long birth. It was, you know, a 36 hour one. It was originally a home birth, wound up being a transfer. Like it was, it was a whole thing. Everything turned out fine, but it was just long. And, um, the birth photographer was there and she knew what I did. And one of the doula or one of the midwives as well. And they were chatting with me and they were just like, one of the, the birth worker just probably were 10 hours in at this point. She's like, oh, my back always kills me after these long labors. And so I just leaned over and I gave her a couple like mindful, like tweaks. I was like, try doing it more like this and moving like this and um, resting like this. She's like, okay, cool. And we wound up having to do an emergency transfer. So the birth work or the birth photographer gets in my car and we go to the hospital. She gives birth. Everything's beautiful and amazing. We're driving home like, you know, five in the morning, like you do. And, um, the birth photographer turns to me and she's like, my back feels amazing. I have never been to this long of a birth and not had pain. And like this light bulb hit me and I was like, birth work is so physical. Because we think of, when you think of labor and delivery positions, everything is geared for the birther. Like, okay, we got to get the pelvic positioning. We know that, for, especially for long labors, keep that mom moving. Like, let her get intuitive. Let her listen to her body. Let her flow. Let her, you know, try, okay, she gets a little bit stuck. Let's shift. Let's move. Like, everything is geared towards the birther, which is amazing and birthers are so important but there was nothing out there i started doing some research and it was like there's nothing out there to actually support the birth workers and if you want a sustainable career you have to have a sustainable body one that supports you and so i started um, really realizing like i could support because i love the birth community i'm like what more privilege could i have than to support the birth workers who are supporting all these birthers and so i started doing some uh, like workshops and things in my area, like weekend workshops where we talk, we move and we talk and we um, get into all the fun stuff. But I was just so excited about the idea that I could encourage this movement aspect in a really embodied way. So I think a lot of birth workers are women 
and a lot of women are very wired to be caretakers. So not only are they like the kind of the caretakers of their home, then they're leaving their home for their job and they're so focused and they're so caretaking for their clients. And, mm -hmm. and what caretaking can do is it can disembody us. And that can be a woo-woo word, but I mean it really in a more really practical way of like, there's the experience of being in your body in the moment. And then there's like, basically you can get stuck in your head and almost disconnect from what's going on with your body. We've all done it. Like you get really comfortable and you're watching a movie and two hours later, you're like, Oh, that was a bad position. Like, but I didn't feel it in the moment because I was so engrossed. And obviously in labor, we're so focused on our clients. We're watching their facial expressions. We're listening to how they're breathing. We're paying attention to all these little physical signs because their body's communicating to us. It's telling us a story of what's going on and how far they're progressing. Are they getting stuck? You know, like mentally, how are they doing? Are they strong? Are they starting to kind of, you know, get into a more panic zone? Like we are so in tune with what's going on with our clients, which is powerful and beautiful and amazing. And I think we've told ourselves a lie that we can't do both at the same time. We can't fully honor the space that our client is in. We can't fully be present with them and also be fully present with ourselves. Yes, it takes more work and I'm not saying it's easy, but I do think it's a lie that you can't do both well. And so what I love to do is use movement. I think movement a lot of times is put in the exercise category. And what I like to talk about is how we have all these separate boxes. We have the self-care box. We have our physical health box. We have our emotional health. We have our fear, you know, more of a spiritual health. We have all, you know, our family. We have so many different boxes. And you can look at this massive line of boxes and be so overwhelmed. Like, I can't, I can't hit them all. And so, of course, self-care. And of course, the physical health is going to be kind of shoved to the back of the line. And maybe it gets addressed, maybe it doesn't. But every time you see that big box sitting open, you feel guilty and like you're not living your life the way it should be lived. And what I like to do is use movement as a tool, not the tool, not the only tool, but as a tool to then say, what if when I'm using my physical body and being fully present and listening and honoring to it, not only am I taking care of my physical health and doing some self-care and honoring myself in that way, I actually do get to do some emotional and spiritual and mental health work because when I'm in this position supporting my client and my back tells me I need to move my position and then I have some internal resistance rise up like, oh, it's going to be a bother. Oh, if I shift position, it's going to be a little tiny bit distracting. So I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to you know, be a little bit in pain, but it's okay. I'm serving my client then I get to do some internal work of like, why? Like, why do I believe that? Like, why do I really think that me taking care of myself is actually gonna be a burden on my client? Oh, that's interesting. Now I get to do some work here. <laughs> so that's where I love to like kind of combine it all to make it really practical. And also just like, it's really, I don't throw like, you need to do 20, you know, two hours of exercise a day at any of my clients, because who can do that? But I do say like what I love to do is kind of educate people on their own body so that in the moments of not only when they're exercising, but they take that time on their exercise mat, even if it's just 10 or 15 minutes every couple of days, then they can move that into their everyday life and then apply it so that they're living a more embodied experience because our bodies are really, really smart and they really do communicate to us. It's just sometimes we need a little bit of practice tuning in and listening with yeah you know. Wow. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of times, especially in birth, 
we always forget there's a mind-body connection. And we talk about it with our clients that, you know, there's a mind-body connection, what you think, what you feel is going to play out in your contractions and whatnot. But it's so true for just everyday life as well. And you're right in that, like I have a pre-existing, well, not, it happened while I was a doula um, with a hamstring and I don't know what it is. Like it, it bothers me most days, but when I'm at a birth, it goes away because I'm so focused on my client and it's only in those moments, you know, when once an epidural comes in or things like that and I'm sitting there and it's like, oh shit, yeah, you are in some serious pain. You need to go grab that Tylenol. And it's like, why now suddenly is this like this? It's because I'm now not focused on my client. I am now focused on me and the room and what else is happening. And I, and yeah, that's, wow, that was enwrapping. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's absolutely true. I mean, it happens to me all the time too. I go to a birth and I feel fine at the birth. Maybe it's sleepy. I don't know, but physically okay. It's uh, later and I'm driving home in my car my lower back is screaming. Everything starts to seize. Over, yes. Now that it's all over, my lower back is screaming at me. And it, it is after everything is all over, that's when the bricks just all crash down on you. Mm-hmm, and I, I often think of uh, when you were talking, I was kind of visualizing a client in labor, you know, trying to get through contractions and the way that I, I basically offer my body to the client to hang on to, to hold on to, 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 for me to support, support them in that physical kind of way. And then the world scaffolding came to mind that I offer myself as a scaffold to hold, hold them up so that they can do what they need to do. And I'll just be here for you strong and secure. And I'll just fall apart later. Like mm-hmm. that's just the understanding. And that's mm-hmm. physically and emotionally as well. Yeah. Yes. Like yes. you are emotional scaffolding for them too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I hadn't yeah. thought about it that way, but yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it really is. And it's the, uh, yeah, on the way home for me as well, it's like the hamstring, the, the top of my hips and my lower back um, always seem to have like all of a sudden this hot fire heat that come into them. Like, excuse me, can we attend this? But I guess the whole point here is, Aaron, um, attending it while you're at the birth or when you're preparing to go to the birth so that we're not having screaming hips and lower backs and hamstrings. So we don't have to do birth rehab. We need to do birth prehab. (laughs) So even just like, let's say you have, Aaron, you have somebody come to you saying that they're having this going to a birth or coming away from a birth. and they're coming up to a birth. If someone is heading into a birthing room, what would you say to somebody just in a short term to start with if you're heading in and you're anticipating coming out with not great care? Absolutely. 
I would start with um, obviously like just taking a moment before you walk in the room. And most of us do. I know a lot of midwives or doulas do kind of have that practice of like a little mantra or something that they say when they, before they walk into a birth, like it's not my birth, it's not my body, like it's their experience. Like it's a very like kind of, they'll kind of have a ritual sometimes before they walk into the room of uh, this more of a protecting themselves or they're grounding or kind of not bringing their own stuff into the situation, whatever it is. I smile. Smile (laughs) smile before I go in and you're walking in going, shit, this is going to be hard. This is going to be, this is going to be that. Smile. I would recommend (laughs) adding to that. Exactly. I would also recommend adding, like, I'm going to choose to listen to my body through this birth. Like even saying that out loud develops like some neurological awareness of like, I'm going to choose to listen to what's going on with my body. And I'm going to try my best to not make my body scream at me for me to pay attention. Like I'm going to choose to be sensitive to my needs as well as the clients and just starts like, because we have been so subconsciously trained that that's not possible. You cannot honor your needs and someone else's needs at the same time. Like we, that's what we've been told, which I call BS on. And especially women, that's what we've been told. That's our life is to look after everybody else and ignore our own wants and needs. Like knocked right off your feet and you can't do anything for anybody else. Now you're allowed to take care of yourself. Right. And like, there's gotta be this separate, like no one else is around me. It's like, it's this very separate experience rather than being more like intertwined with our entire lives. And then the other, like, I love to give practical tools too. So I would start with, we're going to, I'm going to just talk you through how I would notice how I would come into any kind of a, like a little squat or like when you're bending over to help take care of a client. So a lot of times when we bend over, we tuck under at the tailbone. So we curve the back. It's coming into more of a C position. So I'm going to try and um, talk it through for our listeners who can't see my body. So what we're going to do is if you came into a little, little squat, like you bend your knees a little bit, start by noticing, do your knees come in front of your toes or are they more stacked over your ankles? So when they come in front of your toes, you're using the front side of your body of your legs. So your quads there. So when we shift our knees a little bit more stacked over our ankles, we're relying on the hamstrings and the glutes, which are, are really big muscles that are designed to support the pelvis and the lower back. When we're tucked under, we are putting those hamstrings in a shortened position, which is where they can get cranky, and we're compressing the spine, which also can provide, you know, make that crankiness happen. So our knees are stacked over our ankles, then you think about where's my tailbone at? A lot of times it's tucked under, it's more pointed toward the ground can invite a gentle untuck, not a massive untuck, but where my tailbone is pointing more of like a 45 degree angle behind me. Then the other thing to think of is when we're in a forward like position, the rib cage can just collapse towards the ground. So we can kind of have that rib cage reaching towards the ground, which again compresses the lower back. So can you invite your rib cage into your body? You're not doing a crunch, but you're just instead of that collapsing feeling, inviting that rib cage back into your body so that spine is more neutral. Now, this is a very strong position to then be able to hang out in longer term. The other one where we're tucked under uh, puts everything in a not optimal position for a long period of time. If you're there for a few minutes, you're not going to break your body. I'm not anti any position. The body's capable of so much. But when you're going into a situation that's going to be needing to be sustained for longer periods of time, 
understanding how the body is worked and relying on our bigger muscles that are designed to support us can really um, encourage a situation that where it is sustainable. It is something you can walk away from. The other thing to keep in mind, it's a lot of our work is internal rotation of the arms. So if you take your arms and your elbow pits are more like pointed towards you or like towards the back, that's gonna bring that shoulders into the internal rotation, which can really bring that crankiness into the neck, kind of that hiked up position. So, I mean, think this is where we live our lives, especially in birth work. So just remembering to not pull the shoulders down, but just quick check-in, can I relax those shoulders, you know, several times throughout a couple hours. And doing that between contractions too, because we're not always, we're not always supporting after the contraction. Like that time between the contractions is a great time to do those little body shifts and, you know, that body scan of, you know, what am I doing? This is, this is it. And a lot of times, you know, we're like, okay, now the contraction is over. Now we check in with our client. How did that feel? Blah, blah, blah. But sometimes it's a matter of like, just stop talking for a second. And with the next contraction, when it's over, check yourself. 100%. It's so true because we've convinced ourselves too, that only big exercise matters. So I need to go home. I need to have 20 minutes. I need to be on my mat or I need to be running or I need to do these things. And I don't have time for that rather than those subtle little shifts of like, just give your pelvis, like act like you got a little tiny hula hoop on and just give your pelvis a little roll in between so that you can get some fluidity, get some movement there, give a nice stretch arms overhead and just lean side to side. I call these subtle shifts for my clients who are birth workers where Kind of come up with a little routine of tiny little movements. They're not dramatic. You're not doing downward dog on like you know a hospital floor. Like I get that. That's not not an okay on any level. But we can incorporate these tiny little shifts where, like you were saying, which I loved, of almost creating a ritual, a habit of you know that mind map of like every few contractions, I'm going to do a check in with my body. And what I love the most about this sort of approach um, is the whole focus on movement. Our bodies are meant to move, which is a big difference from fitness and exercise. That's a whole different thing. And that's what we're always focused on, getting fit, doing exercise, like setting apart specific, like an hour, like you say, or two hours, or going to a specific place to do exercise and to get fit, when actually we are moving creatures we move all the time and the ways that we move all throughout our lives all throughout our days affects how we feel and when our bodies are asked to do big things like do a double hip squeeze for five hours we fall apart because not because we haven't been doing squats at the gym or whatever whatever because of the ways that we've been moving all our lives has now it, it now shows up in our inability to, to inability to do the big things that we're asked to do. So I love the focus on movement, the focus on movement, generalized movement all throughout our lives in between contractions, uh, doing certain things afterwards and so on. That that's what attracts me to this um, way of looking at how we treat our bodies that way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, I have to say, um, maybe maybe two years ago it, everything you're talking about here Aaron, is just triggering this memory i have i was at a home birth 
with a midwife and she was knitting and <laughs> but even in this knitting position she would her eyes would flick up and she'd check on my client who was in the in her birthing pool mm-hmm. she would get up and she would come over and she would kind of set herself before checking baby's heart rate and always before she went to sit back down she would do a slight like roll her shoulders back reach overhead do a little stretch she would do a little hula hoop with her hips and then she would settle herself back down to knit and or crochet or whatever she was doing I don't do any of that stuff but (laughs) she she was happily doing that and then getting up to check but each time she came back from just this the simple act of bending over into the water to listen to this she would do a mini check-in stretch herself hula hoop her hips and then sit back down and I remember watching her going I didn't realize until maybe a few hours in that she was had this system whether my client was in the water out of the water whenever she came back to the chair to sit to to knit that's exactly what she did Mm -hmm. so she'd found her mindfulness she'd found her how to check in with herself at a birth without being I guess I mean, midwives do this all the time. So having to check back in with her own body so that she is prepared for the next person who might be ready to go. I Um, wondered too, though, if that was almost like a shift as well, again, mentally from I'm in client space, then I do these things and now I'm in my space. Yeah. Yeah, I love that because it's a holistic way of thinking, isn't it? It is, but like you said, Erin, it isn't just about your body only. It also is, now I'm going to check in on the client, do that. Okay, all as good as there. I'm going to go move back to my space in every single way, physically and emotionally and spiritually, because it is all connected. It's all blended together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I mean, we've talked in the past as well um, on this podcast about how, you know, as older doulas, we are at a point now where we will say, you know, to our clients, yeah, like I will attend your birth, but you need to understand I will be doing this every couple of hours to go to the bathroom. I will have to stop and do this to feed myself. I will have to do this. I don't do these kind of appointments. I don't meet you at this time, blah, blah, blah. I think as older doulas, we've almost gotten there like we've we've done we've given enough of ourselves throughout you know the 10 15 20 years that we've been doing this that we now have the confidence to say yeah i can't that's not me whereas as a younger doula like what you were saying you know suzanne 15 years ago you know god you gave everything you had <laughs> you just you went into a birth and you left it all there and now we know that we have to come back and we have to look after ourselves and our children and have yeah. dinner and the elderly and all of this stuff we're at a point where we've gotten to this point but the newer doulas maybe they're not doing this <laughs> so i hope they're listening and hearing this because if you start out in your doula career early on really paying attention to how you're treating your body, how you're treating your whole self, actually, at births, before births, and after births, then... You won't be broken like this 20 years later. Things won't start falling off as you walk down the road. (laughs) It feels like that sometimes. Like, like, did I I leave my hip flexor back there? Because I don't know what's happening right now, but I'm walking like I got a busted up hip. 
Um, is my hamstring actually on fire back there? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Why does my knee not want to walk down these stairs? What is happening? <laughs> that is, it's, it's horrible and hilarious at the same time. When you, it, the, the stair thing, you're starting to go down and all of a sudden you find you're going top speed because it, it's not actually bending actively. It's yeah. letting go and you find your, it's like after doing a big lower body workout, the next couple of days you try to go down and each time you start to bend it, it just collapses. So you actually look like, I don't know, like you're a marionette or something going yeah. down the stairs. Yeah. So we, we need you, Erin, help us. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. I mean, when I, when I talk about, like when I teach, when I taught, cause that does not happening anymore. Um, much to my chagrin, but when I taught physically, um, in class and we talked about, you know, double hip squeeze and things like that. And I was teaching this to the partners to do, I would say like, look, you guys have to remember that the, the, what you're doing, you're probably going to have to do for many, many hours, and you need to say um, that the muscles that you're using are not your forearms. They're coming from your shoulder. They're coming from your chest. They're coming from your biceps, and you have to remember always to check your body mechanics and always, you know, to be aware of what your body is doing because when this is all over and done with, you can't be broken. You now have to look after baby and the birthing parent because they've just given birth mm -hmm. and now, and now you're on. So you have you're to not allowed to be broken. So don't break yourself. Dude. Exactly. You can't, you have to eat, you have to go to the bathroom. You have to look after yourself. And yet as a doula, it's what I don't do. Exactly. <laughs> right? I don't do as I say, not as I do. Well, that's what I tell so many of my birth worker clients is like, you know, the right answers. Like, this is how you coach your clients. Like after they have a baby, you're always like, you can't just sacrifice your own needs and only focus on the baby and never get sleep and never eat. And like, think that somehow you're going to be able to create an ecosystem that's sustainable. Like it's not going to happen or the same thing, what you're saying for, you know, the birth, um, the birthers partners, like it's just, we know all the right answers. It's just learning that it's okay to talk to ourselves that way. Yeah, exactly. It's okay to not give everything you have. It's okay to not be broken when this is over. And just know that if you, if you're not broken, when this is over, you still did a good job. Well, in my mind, that's what creates a sustainable community. Like when I think ahead, if I were to have a daughter, like I want this community to still exist. Like I want there to be a strong, thriving community of birth workers out there so that she would have options of who she could choose and who she could work with. And yet, like if all the good ones are burned out and they're not there to mentor and to teach and to pass on their wisdom because they're just, they've reached a breaking point or even if that's what we're modeling that birth work is to the next generation, they're going to be like, no, thanks. Like, I don't want to just sacrifice my life away and then suddenly have nothing to show for it except for pain and yeah. dysfunction. Have like a five, 10 year career. And then, and then what do I do? Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty common. It that's is actually, there's the work is common. Very yeah. much so. Very yeah. much so. It's very so Aaron, common someone, I know we're talking in um, generalities, but because obviously you work with people specifically who kind of come into a birth and out of a birth and everyone feels slightly different um, or maybe immensely different. Someone will have neck pain, another person will have lower back pain, another person will have, you know, ankle and shin pain. But generally speaking, 
coming out of a birth so that we talked about the first things to kind of ground yourself going in things to be mindful of during when when you you yourself are leaving a birth because i know you said uh, you do on a part-time basis um when you're leaving a birth what are the things that you are what are your post-birth care care things i getting a burger Besides getting the burger. Food, of course. But then (laughs) I love to move in really small ways because usually a lot of times you're going to bed right afterwards. So you're not wanting to like get your heart rate up, get your endorphins going. I mean, you already are kind of coming down from that like oxytocin high. You're coming down from that like big experience hormonally and emotionally. And so that's where it's like that weird crash because you had such an amazing, hopefully, um, experience, or it could have been traumatic either. It's like one or the other, really with birth work, it was like, you have this emotional high or it's a mixture. Like, yeah, everything wound up okay. But then there was these traumatic events like leading up to the okay. And so we've got like a lot of hormones going on in our body, whether or not we're processing trauma or we're processing like this emotional high. And so I like to honor that space with being more gentle. So I do a lot of hip mobility. I have these little balls. So like you can either use like a tennis ball or they have like specialty balls where you can kind of roll out parts of your body. So you can put the ball between you and the wall, lean against the wall, roll out your shoulders, roll out your hips. So I love to do that. Roll out your feet. If your feet are what's bothering you. Uh, A lot of times what we need is just a really nice hamstring stretch to get the lower back to release. So to get at the hamstrings, you can just stand with your feet hips distance apart, looking forward. And it takes a lot of um, spinal stability where a lot of us, if you're standing up straight and you go to like unload the um, dishwasher or pick something up off of the floor, we hinge from the waist. So that mid back is the first thing to move. So if you think of like a forward fold, like you can just kind of curl down into a forward fold to touch your toes, if any of us can touch your toes anymore, and then curl back up. So what we want to do to get to the hamstrings, because that's kind of like a back stretch. So to stabilize to the spine, so basically not let the spine move, what I like to do is put my hands on my lower back to just kind of feel if they're, it's really stable and not moving. Then I hinge at the hips. So I take my tailbone from pointing to the floor and just point it as far back behind me as I can. That stretches the hamstrings out, which are connected to the pelvis. And when hamstrings are really tight, they're pulling on the back of the pelvis, which is connected to the spine. So that whole area can then have that extra tension when the hamstrings are basically pull, 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 pull. So if we can get the hamstrings to get some nice uh, stretch and lengthening there, then that can relieve a lot of the tension that's kind of going all the way up the body. So I love to do simple things like that. Perfect. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I, I've always been, this has always been my, my ideal birth preparation or prehab, I guess you could say, um, in order to prepare for a birth, I try to make sure like at least a week or two weeks, ideally before the due date, I get as much sleep as possible. I eat as well as possible and I'm hydrated as much as possible so that I start out the the labor experience in my best shape, I could say, but I never really give much thought to (laughs) movement and what can birth workers do in those, let's say two weeks before a due date to prepare besides sleeping well and eating well, what are things that we could do to, um, 
I don't know if strengthen is the right word because it isn't just strength that we need. It's flexibility. It's, you know, resilience and, and all of that. What are some things we can do in those weeks leading up to a birth to prepare our bodies? Um, I love this question and I have also created, I have two free um, 10 minute exercise videos on my website. I can send them to you to throw in the show notes that target upper body and then the back, the, and because it just is a 10 minute sequence that you can lead through. And I talk you through, um, really how to engage like our side hips because our side hips are massive stabilizers, our glutes and our hamstrings, how to stabilize and strengthen the back and the core, how to um, move through the upper body in a way that isn't all internally rotated and going to cause all that tension. So I've created that just because it's the simplest way to answer that because it's like a nice 10 minute walkthrough that walks you through all the little alignment points and little spaces to be mindful of, but it's creating that awareness. I like to really start with a pelvis and just understand, like just start noticing throughout your week, how you move with your pelvis. The other thing I really love to cue for birth workers is like you're either on or you're sitting like like you have bouts of sitting and you have bouts of like you're just in the zone and so understanding creating that awareness when you're sitting with your pelvis so you have your tailbone which is when you're kind of curved under and kind of like slouchy position so if you were to like slouch on a couch and get really comfortable most of us are sitting on that tailbone and then you can come forward like rock forward so we're pulling that tailbone gently up off of the uh whatever we're sitting on and then right on the, the, the tops of the femurs on either side of the pelvis, you've got your sit bones, which are those bony, some of us have to dig a little bit deeper, but I promise you they're there. And those are those strong bony um, muscle, or it's all muscles and bones that are designed to actually carry most of the weight. So the tailbone actually has a little bit of a pivot to it. You see it in birth, like it'll actually raise up to let the baby come out. Well, we still have that mobility even when we're not giving birth. It's a lot It's a lot smaller, but it's still there. So when we're sitting on our tailbone, we're actually pushing that tailbone in. So that's gonna affect your pelvic floor. That's gonna affect your back. That's gonna affect a lot of things. And it, we're in that curved position. It's actually like putting the back in a weird compressed stretch out space. So creating that awareness even when we sit. So we can sit, we can rest in a way that's actually supportive to our body. So that is like the more holistic mindset I love to talk about. It's not now you need to exercise for 45 minutes a day. And again, it's like, I just gave you another box. Like I am not about giving birth workers another box of like, here's another box of things that you should be doing that you don't have time to do. And now you, it's another checkbox that you won't check off and feel really bad about. (laughs) I'm like, let's look at all the things that you're already doing and let's optimize them. Let's do them so they're actually strengthening your body. So then you can feel really good about actually how you're living your whole life because what you're doing is amazing. Most of what we need is really small tweaks, not a massive overhaul. And I think sometimes that's where it's almost a hard sell because it sounds too good to be true. It's fantastic advice. How to sit on your ass, but better. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I love it. <laughs> so I um, have a different question again that's kind of practical. Um, it's practical and it's woo-woo all at the same time. My favorite. So, My favorite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get woo-woo. So, you know, we talked That's what about we should this. call this episode, pragmatic woo-woo. <laughs> pragmatic woo-woo with Erin Underwood. Um, so when we go into a birth, we talked about, you know, the physical and emotional preparation for walking into that room. 
and the mindfulness for being in our own body, taking time for it while we're in the room. And the following up, again, being mindful just to not just fall into bed and have everything seize up like we're all arthritic. But sometimes things happen in a birthing room with our clients that are emotionally traumatic um, or emotionally jarring. And again, in the moment, often it will irk us or we'll get that little flag that says that's inappropriate. That was um, an approach or misogynistic or, um, and it doesn't even have to be misogynistic. It can just be inappropriate for support. Yeah, it's jarring to our system. And we feel it, and then we log it away, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and often we log our emotional stuff away in our muscles, in our tensions, in, and everyone kind of has, I think, they, a little bit of knowledge about where it sits and where it shows up. Sometimes it shows up in a migraine, or it shows up in neck pain, or um, it's, a lot of people have forearms. They, 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 they don't realize they're fisting. <laughs> Sorry, that's the wrong word. They're putting their hands in fists and tensing up there and uh, or through their, their upper chest. Um, anyhow, I'm wondering when, when we flag those things, often we don't work out the physical from those things. So when, when you yourself or when you've spoken with those who have done this, what are the things we can do in the moment to address, address that? Yes, I love this question. And this is like the part two of what I teach too, because that we are one being. So we love to separate things out and I teach the physical, but also the physical, it's all blended with our hormones and our emotions and everything influences each other. And so if someone is a little weirded out by the woo woo, what I'd love to do is just the example of if you smile, even if you don't feel like it, even if you don't want to, if you force your space to smile for 30 seconds, your body will start releasing uh, endorphins. Like, the hormonal and the physical and everything influences each other, whether or not we think it's too woo woo or not. So now when we go through trauma, 100%, like there's tons of science. So I just want to tell people like there's tons of science that shows that we can carry trauma in our physical body. So a lot of people experience it. If they go to a massage therapist, the massage therapist will hit a spot and all of a sudden they're crying or they're having this really huge emotional reaction. They don't know where it came from. They're not thinking about anything traumatic. It's just a strong reaction because of some physical pressure that was applied. So this is very common. You can talk to any massage therapist and they'll say, yes, that has happened to me with one of my clients at least. And so we can carry trauma in our body. And like you said, it's so common not to even know how to process physically. Like we know sometimes I need to think or I need to be grateful or I need to journal or I need to, and those tools are amazing. And I am not downing any of them. What I like to do is add the physical back in to play because we are one body. And I feel like that's where we get stuck is we don't physically know how to move energy and trauma through our body. So I'm going to send you a link to a psoas release because a psoas release can be really powerful. It's a very passive relaxing position you can be in for five minutes but the psoas is the muscle if anyone's not um can't picture where it is exactly it starts at attaches has 11 attachments on the right below where the rib cage is on either side of the spine it wraps around through the pelvis and then attaches at the femur so that psoas it's also called the fight or flight muscle so it would would, would pull you into a fetal position and it, there can be a lot of trauma that can settle in there, but also it can settle in anywhere in the body. But I love the psoas release because when we're sitting or, you know, we're hunched over and then we add some emotional stuff, it can really kind of get stuck in that 
more shortened position and then that affects the whole body because it's central to us it attaches from the femur to the spine so if that's tight it can really kind of get everything wonky and that can also be an emotional release as well the other thing let's get real woo woo is if we're i like uh neurogenic tremoring so that is a real fancy name for shaking so when you see an animal on a nature show, if it like gets attacked by another animal and it can escape, a lot of times you'll see it do the shake, like it shakes it off. It has like this tremor, but then it's fine and it runs off. So it, it physically processes the trauma that it just went through very quickly because they do it on a regular basis. So what I love to do is it's like you're shivering or some people will actually experience this if they experience like anxiety or an anxiety attack and they get really upset like, wow, I'm losing it. Like something's really wrong. No, your body's actually just processing physically and it's really healthy and actually good. We'll even see this after birth. Some women will shake and it's, they're just processing the hormones. Like it's this massive hormonal surge and they're just physically processing and moving it. So you can actually invite that shaking and tremoring in a very safe warm environment i'll do it in my bed sometimes but just like almost like i'm shivering kind of i'll tighten and release really quickly like i i'll shake in my legs but it's a physical release and it feels weird and it helps me emotionally if i do it for five minutes all of a sudden i'm like i just feel it kind of come down and i feel like I, I just process some energy and it's bypassing it's a very physical way of processing trauma. So it's kind of weird because like we're so used to like, now I need to think of it. Now I need to go into the exper the, that experience. Now I need to either relive it or attach an, an emotion or a significance to that. And like we kind of do that work, which can be really, really helpful. But sometimes we're just too tired or we're not even interested in going to that place or we're like not even emotionally strong enough to even like go there so i love to like add this movement as a support of like you don't even need to think about the trauma you can just energetically move it through your body and sometimes that can bring us to a state where then we're able to do the work or maybe we don't need to like it's all everything's unique wow i love that so much it's so insightful because those of us who consider ourselves you know holistic people and and who we feel like we uh, uh incorporate all sorts of holistic things especially around trauma and processing stuff i don't think that i have ever thought about it that way before that that your physical body because you know when you think about processing trauma it does feel sort of emotional spiritual so yes you got to do the gratitude practice yeah you got to do the journaling you got to do like the ritual ceremonies and let it go and all of that and i don't think i've ever heard anybody say you got to do stuff with your body that brings it down for a lot of people right back down to earth makes it less woo woo sounding that your body does hold on to trauma tension is held in certain places and there are things you can do to move it out it isn't just about journaling and all that stuff is great and i do all of that stuff but you're right after a birth i don't want to journal i'm emotionally and physically exhausted and i don't want to journal and i don't want to meditate i want to shower and i want to get into bed i don't want to eat mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. what i want to do i want to nourish my and do something for my body and then go to sleep and that is really helpful to think the emotional trauma of birth whether it's good or whether it's bad trauma is trauma you go through big things you witness a big huge life event however it went um 
and that doing things for your body afterwards that are not go for a run. <laughs> That's not the advice. Um, I find that extremely helpful. Mm-hmm. And it's all tied in. It's, it is a part of journaling and gratitude practices and all of the other stuff that we do, that that's a part of it. Because and as we did, sorry, go anecdotal ahead. story, just a little anecdotal story here. So and it, it's just because this really brought this memory up. When my sister and I were kids, we would go to camp for two weeks every summer. And every summer while we were getting ready, my sister would start to cry and become overwhelmed and I was kind of like the cheerleader, we're going, I know it's hard, we're gonna get on the bus, we're gonna see your friends from last year, all of that stuff. And then eventually we'd get on the bus and we'd get there. And thankfully at the camp we went to, they, they broke a lot of rules for us because my sister, it was just, is a very sensitive person. She's very emotional about many things. Um, and she like outwardly, she does not hold it in. Um, she is very happy to just let her fly. And if you've ever even seen her in a fist fight while she's windmilling, she's crying at the same time. But um, anyhow, when we would get into bed at night, so she, she was not in my cabin or anything, but the counselor would walk her over if she was having a hard time and let her sleep in my cabin with me and the other girls from my crew. And no matter what happened, if she was having a hard time and needed to come to my bed, she would get into bed and she would start shivering her legs. She would just vibrate her legs, which would drive me fucking nuts. But I, it was just what she did, like her whole body would tremble, but particularly her legs, as she kind of would huddle into me. Um, and, and it would last maybe on and off for five minutes until she tweaked off into the deeper sleep. Like she'd go, mm-hmm. she'd start to settle down, and then she'd shiver again for a little bit. And this is nothing she did consciously, I don't think. She'd just say, Steppy, I need to do that. And, uh, and I'd be like, oh, my God. <laughs> but it is. As a child, that's what she would do while we were at camp when she was having a hard night and she needed to sleep with me without any direction. That is what she would do. And she would also, when she was feeling stressed um, in the morning, if we were going back and stuff, she would sing as we walked. Even if she was, like you mentioned, smiling. But she would, like, work her face and, like, big sing as I walked her back to her cabin. Um, Because she said it made her feel better. It it lit her up a little bit. Even if she didn't want to sing, she knew it made her Mm. feel better. So we'd sing something Mm -hmm. absolutely ridiculous. But um, but yeah, it used to make her feel better all the way up until she was like 10, 11 years old. It was the same thing. Yes. And it's so intuitive. And yet, if we think about it, how has movement been labeled? Like, you're not supposed to wiggle. It's not respectful. It shows you're not paying attention. It's childish, like, or even to the realm of like, now you're just in crazy town because you're shaking. And rather than being like, we are physical beings and we can move our body the way we intuitively need to. And I, I mean, one of the first things I always tell my clients is like, one, my permission means nothing. You don't need my permission. You need your own permission, but some people need that external permission. So I say, I give you permission to wiggle. Like, wiggle all you want, sit on the floor, get up, move, shift your legs. Like that is the first step to being intuitive. And that is the first thing that's trained out of us as children, sit up straight, pay attention, hands on your desk, face forward. Don't wiggle, like stop squirming around. And so like that movement right there is trained out of us on a very minute level. And so it's just more and more layered on where we don't even know where the narrative started anymore. We just know we need to sit still and not move. Yeah, and it's considered, I think it's considered disrespectful, which is kind of funny because, was it last year? Maybe the year before. 
No, it was before Ford came on. Um, there was some funding put into our school system where kids in a couple schools in Toronto were given um, stability balls instead mm -hmm. of chairs. And it, there was a huge, wonderful kind of reaction to it. Not all the kids liked it. All the kids had the option of a chair or a ball at the beginning of the day. Um, and you could switch out at certain times during the day. So they didn't want people running back and forth, but kids were allowed to switch out what they wanted. And uh, it, was, it came in with a lot of wonderful feedback. They got rid of the program when our new government came in. But um, I remember a couple of my teacher friends saying, and it was just for primary school, but uh, my, my teachers, teacher friends saying that they, they loved it. They didn't love that the kids often wanted to switch more often. Um, it was a disruption to what they had been trained to know to sit still and stuff like that. But once they had the option, it was, there was a lot of wanting to switch out. But anyhow, it was a great initiative to not tell kids to sit still, you know, um, yeah. and sit on a, a ball with a towel underneath so it didn't make noise while, while sitting in class. It's, it's true. We've all been conditioned to think that the ability to sit still is a sign of maturity or sophistication or, or something and that needing to fidget or needing to move too much according to whoever um, is a sign of immaturity or a lack of um, uh, steadiness or, or whatever but there is judgment about that there really there really is and I'm so glad that now we know that that's not especially for children that that's just not I've always known that I have arguments with my mother about bringing my children to church and not forcing them to sit for two, a two-hour sermon and not expecting a three-year-old to be able to sit and not fidget. That somehow the, 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 the children who were able to sit still the whole time were good children and the ones who wanted to like do somersaults and hang upside down were the bad ones. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so that's how movement's been stigmatized, which in a way, when you think about it, and, and yes, yeah, it's got to have its own separate box. That's the only place it's appropriate when you and have when your yoga you pants go on and you go and to you the, do the exercises and yeah, and that's all sanctioned and, and all of that. But to be able to move in different ways and to be conscious of being able to move or needing to move uh, is, is not something that we're used to. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. And now here we are retraining ourselves as adults to come back to our intuitive child because as children, it was trained out of us to move regularly through our day. Yes. It was put into a box exactly. of exercise. Do you know it that there's some kind of therapy I heard about? I don't remember what the therapy was for. Like if, if there was a specific condition or something that was being treated, maybe, you know, Aaron, where the therapy was crawling. So you, hmm. so grown adults with whatever issues they, I forget, I don't remember what the issues are that the therapy was crawling, that the, the, the therapist brought them back from, brought them back to those early years when, when that movement was, was just a thing. And so they would crawl, they crawl around and do all these sort of childlike, baby-like movements. And that was part of the therapy mm -hmm. because something in us breaks or doesn't develop properly when certain movements are restricted or when we have certain experiences with movement as children and that that was pretty fascinating i don't know if you've heard of that 
Yeah, crawling can connect basically the right lobe and the left lobe of the brain neurologically. And so if we bypass or we like skim through that phrase very, very quickly as children, um, it can just affect the wiring neurologically in our brain. And so sometimes they'll basically be like, we're going to crawl and you're going to connect like the right lobe and the left lobe. And that's going to basically kind of even things out neurologically. That was the surgery or not the surgery. That was the therapy Xander needed when he was, uh, I guess, around 11 or 12, he started because, um, well, you guys know, Xander's broken every fucking bone in his body um, because he, he does everything fast. He does everything fast forward. He goes into every sport full force, but his actual sense of uh, left and right um, center of gravity running into things um, was not awesome. And so after, I mean, was it like his third break or something? Um, he saw a neurologist for, for like basically some feedback care of uh, hand-eye coordination, spatial sense and stuff. And he, his therapy was crawling because he did. He skipped the crawling stage. He didn't, he kind of scooted for a bit, didn't do much crawling and then walked and then ran. And he actually had his physical therapy, his physio was crawling techniques and like touching his shoulder with one hand and the other hand and reaching and pulling um, front and behind. Like, and it was, yeah, but it was really just a lot of crawling every day for a while. I mean, he still went on to continue to break more stuff and dislocate it and tear things up. But um, it, it was interesting that that's, uh, you know, we go to see a friggin' neurologist and they're like, yeah, he needs to crawl. <laughs> he really needs that. Isn't it funny? Because my daughter, she crawled for a long time, longer. And everyone's like, why isn't she walking? I'm like, I don't know, because she's faster crawling. Like she can keep up with the boys faster if she crawls. But she's a combination of like really smart and really creative. So it's almost like those two sides of her brain have melded really, really well together. Crazy. It's super interesting. Now I'm, I'm, now I'm thinking about. And then I want to crawl, right? Yeah. Now I'm thinking, now I'm not thinking about all my children and how much did they crawl? Like no one didn't crawl very much. He walked early. He just kind of stood up and started walking. Yep. Yeah. That was Will. Xander. Yep. Huh. Crazy. Interesting. This has been fascinating, Erin. I, I, I've loved this discussion so much. I loved this. Yeah. Good. <laughs> My God, this is yeah, amazing. Super fascinating. And I am, I'm going to go and find my all my katie bowman books i am going to read i'm going to explore all of your stuff too and blend them all together i love i love this so much thank you thank you for coming on so erin how can how can people find you tell us um i am erin underwood movement everywhere on facebook on instagram erin underwood movement.com i offer i'm now kind of expanding my online offerings because i just like you can't teach in person right now um, so I do pel core pelvic floor classes, and I'm also releasing basically everything we talked about. I put it into a program for birth workers. Awesome. And so that's going to be coming out in the next month or so. It's an online course, and it's um, you can get continued education credit if you're in connected to Dona or MIAC, which is, I think they're American-based, but um, at least, you know, someone else says I'm legitimate too. So, <laughs> but it's bad. It's a really walks you through step-by-step step this entire embodied experiment experience. And I also have a whole module connected to 
um, the emotional side of supporting yourself through movement. So I basically took everything, all my best stuff, crammed it into a course, and I'm super excited about it. I also have the Thriving Birth Worker podcast as well, so where I talk about this kind of stuff all the time. Awesome. Perfect. Perfect. And those videos are up there on your on your website too, right, Erin? Yes, and I can send you a direct link so people can just find it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, please, please send email everything to the that address that you sent us to. This has been good. Even if week. even if nobody listens to it, I feel I, yeah, like I, I've gotten a lot out of this. So <laughs> thank fabulous. you so much for coming. Awesome, yes. awesome. Great. And we're gonna we're gonna sign off, aren't we? Because it's a, an hour and a half. We've been yeah, here. yeah. So let's get out of here. <laughs> People don't have those long car rides anymore to listen to us. So I know. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you reaching out to us and for doing this. And it has been amazing. And it will be up on Monday. Um, Fabulous. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this has been great. Awesome. Thank you, everybody. And stay safe, everyone. Stay safe. Don't lick washing machines. <laughs> Stretch your hamstrings. This is this is your advice, the COVID advice for the week. Do <laughs> not lick new washing machines. No, listen, you can lick them after you've cleaned them off. Yes, you can. Go ahead. If We're you have one that's 20 anybody. years old and has been in your house, lick away. Go ahead, lick away. Lick We're saying when they bring them in, now. Don't, lick them, don't lick it immediately. Exactly. First you clean it off, then you can... Then you can go ahead and lick it. Oh, yeah. Anytime you want to lick your washing machine, wipe it first. Because I don't yeah. know about you guys, but I end up with dirty old hockey shit on top of my uh, washer before it goes inside. So That's you don't want to lick that. generally good advice. Right. That's probably even more important during the COVID times. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> Just don't drink the bleach. No, no, don't do that either. Don't do that either. Don't do that either. We know it's right there and it might be tempting, but don't do it. Don't. (laughs) Oh, okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.